a name on there, uh, Pastor Ron Owens there in the very back. Uh, he passed away this morning unexpectedly. Uh, he went home to be with the Lord and uh, don't have any other details. Uh, his wife found him at 6.30 in bed with his Bible next to him and his glasses on top of his Bible. So he's now with the Lord. And uh, so, so sort of a sad day for us here at the Grace Baptist Church family. Uh, but it's always bittersweet when a faithful servant goes home to be with the Lord. All right. If you're visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Um, I've been told we'll have those verses up here shortly beside me. Uh, we're going to be in the... Uh, the latter part of the chapter, uh, if they're not up uh, quite, oh, there, there they are, they're all up now. It's also inside your bulletin here this morning. Now, before I preach this passage, let me kind of say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, this is a passage that is needed for a time like this. I spent my week with two unexpected deaths, one expected death in a funeral and a wedding. It's been a very busy week for me. And uh, as I look at a text like this, one thing I'm reminded of is we're not just playing a game when we gather here at worship for Grace Baptist Church, but uh, this is a very real thing that we are doing. That Christianity is not a collection of philosophies wielded by men over a period of time. That's Buddhism. It's not Christianity. It's Buddhism. Christianity is either true and impactful in all areas of life and is the dividing line among all things, or Christianity is of no relevance whatsoever. It cannot be somewhere in between. It must be one or the other. And so with that in mind, I want you to listen today to the words of Jesus Christ. So these are not my words. These are not, you know, previous pastor's words. This is not the opinion of men. We believe that God has revealed Himself through the Word and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that's Jesus Christ. These words are from the lips of God Himself. All right? So hear what the Word of God says. I came to cast fire on the earth, and what it have already and that it would have already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, the shower is coming, and it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? I'm going to stop there because that's as far as I got in the first service and that's as far as I'm going to get in this service. This ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible words. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, the word of our God, endures forever. Let there be peace on earth 
and let it begin with me. Let this be the moment now to take each moment and live each moment in grace eternally. With God as our Father, brothers all are we. Does anybody know that song that I'm quoting? Did you know that's a popular Christmas song called Let There Be Peace on Earth that is sung at Christmas time and it has now been neutered. <laughs> they have taken that song and they have changed father to creator instead of brother, it's children. And there's this continued thing out from that. And I think that in doing so, there is a pursuit of what I would call a pipe dream that was never promised on this side of glory in a sinful world. And that is the idea or the concept that Jesus Christ's birth and Christmas alone is sufficient to bring about world peace. What Jesus has just said in this passage is what? A natural, I am the dividing line. And as long as I am here and I am dividing There will not be peace on earth. Now, there will be peace sometime in the future, right? When Jesus returns a second time and eradicates the enemy Satan and sin from the world. But in the meanwhile, in this space that you and I live in, a pursuit of peace for the sake of peace is pie-in-the-sky pipe dream thinking. It is just not possible according to these passages. Let's think about this a little more and get into it so that we can see this more clearly. Now, before I begin expounding on this, I want to say the following. When I read this passage, if you're honest with yourself, you should have recoiled at what I just read. There should have been something within you that said, wait a minute, what? Because this was very exclusive in the way that it is written. It is very clear and it is very true. I think that we have to stop for a minute and ask, why do we recoil at verses like this? Because the reality is, either something is wrong with Jesus and what he is saying, or something is wrong with us and our culture. And I would submit to you, since we believe Jesus Christ is the perfect God incarnate, the Word made flesh, that it is not Jesus who needs fixing, but rather it is us and in our views and our understanding of the world around us. Let me help you understand what I think is wrong with us and what makes us naturally recoil from this. I want to read a quote to you from a fellow named G.K. Chesterton. Has anyone ever heard of G.K. Chesterton before? Anybody familiar with him? Nobody? Okay. He was a, a theologian, pastor of yesterday. He wrote the following in 1935 about the culture of his day nearly 100 years ago. Here's what he said. What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition and settled upon the organ of conviction where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. We are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. Now, here's my question to you. If he wrote that in 1935, do you think that this problem of being modest with truth has gotten better or worse? I would say worse by far. 
worse by far. So this is one issue that we face, that we think today it is not possible to be men and women of conviction and to be men and women who stand for truth. Instead of standing for truth and being convicted and convinced of that, we should be doubting ourselves. You see what he's saying there? There's this great reverse and disconnect. That's where the gospel message is today. Uh, You do you, boo, right? That's the message of this world. That you be sure of what you want and you do you. And when you do you, you'll find ultimate fulfillment. But guess what people who are doing themselves and and are uh, doing things the way they want them done find out it is an empty pursuit. Because this is the reality. You weren't built to do you, do you, boo. You were built to bring glory to God. And since you were built to bring glory to God... Anytime you insert selfish ambition in that, it is poison to your soul and it is poison to the local church. Okay? Another reason that we don't like to to read passages like this and have stances like this is because we don't like people to speak negatively of us in and around us. We don't like others to think or to speak negatively of us It's a fear of man problem. We don't want people to be convinced that we think we are right and they don't like that. What is the person who is a Christian fanatic? It's somebody who loves Jesus just a little bit more than you do. And since you can't possibly match that, you just label them as a fanatic, right? That's what happens in our culture. And you don't want that label. You want it to be seen differently and you don't want to be spoken about negatively. And so you wrestle with this. This is what's making the recoil in your heart. These two things at a minimal, and there may be more, but this is enough for now. All right, with the introduction out of the way, let's dive into the Word here. Look at verse 49. I have been wrestling with this passage in 49 all week, seven days, and I'm glad to tell you that today I am no more convinced on the interpretation of 49 than I was seven days ago because I read multiple commentaries and looked at different writers and authors, and what they basically said was this passage is very difficult for anyone to to interpret clearly, so I'm going to do the best that I can. What I will actually do here on this verse in 49, there are times when Jesus says something like verse 49, and then he moves quickly without a great discourse as to what exactly he means. And so I would have been happy if in verse 49 he would have made the statement and then gave us 49 verses explaining what 49 meant. That would have been wonderful to me, but he doesn't do that. He makes the statement and then he moves on quickly. But let us take just a moment to consider what it is Jesus is saying in this passage. How are we to understand that Jesus says, I have come to cast fire on the earth and that and would that it were already kindled. So two things are happening here. He's saying, I've come to cast fire, and that he has a zeal that the fire would be cast. The question is then, what is the fire? Well, the only thing that we are left with to understand this is a little help from the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, from yesterday. And he said, the best thing to do when we are placed in a position like this, when we don't quite understand what to do with the fire and what it means, is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. We have seen language like this before. The place that we have seen language like this before is found in the Gospel of Luke. If you will, keep your thumb on chapter 12 and flip back with me to chapter 3. Go to Luke chapter 3 for just a moment. 
In Luke chapter 3, we see a figure who has actually, from the place we are in the gospel, he's been beheaded and he's deceased, but we see the last great prophet of the Old Testament, right? Uh, the Bible tells us that, that he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, that God speaks to us now through Christ in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, and so there's not a need and the office of prophet as it was in the Old Testament ceased with the death of John the Baptist. He was the last great prophet in the line of prophets that we see in all of Scripture. And what we're seeing here with uh, John is he is beginning this ministry, which he, his real ministry was that he would continue to point to Jesus. Is this mine, by the way? Yes. Michael, thank you. I don't want to get... Uh, you thought I was going to say COVID-19, but it's actually something different that I'm much more afraid of. Uh, there's a disease you get from drinking after people called... Um, what is it, Beck? Spinal meningitis. Thank you. I have an irrational fear of spinal meningitis. So, And I was ahead of the curve on COVID with that. I've, I've had that fear for about a decade. So anyway. All right. <clears throat> Back to the fire. So John is saying here, he is preaching. And what we're seeing in John's ministry is this great and last Old Testament prophet is decreasing. Jesus is increasing. And it is John's will that it be done. And here's what he says about this great change that is taking place in front of him. If your eyes will float down to verse 9. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the what? Fire. All right. Now, take and skip down same chapter 3. Move down to 16 and 17 in the same chapter. What do we see? John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than me is coming. The, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what church? Fire. That's right. His winnowing fork is in his hand, so clear the, fresh, the threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into the barn, his barn. And the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's right. Fire. So what is John saying here? John is saying that Jesus is coming to bring fire on the earth. He is going to baptize the world with fire. Now, at a minimum, based on these verses in chapter 3, the fire here is the judgment of God, right? The winnowing fork is put in. You throw it up. The chaff flies out. You burn it away. You take what is good and you make a good product. What should also be implied here is that this fire that is a judgmental consuming fire of God is not meant to be feared by those who have repented and trust the Lord. For us, though, we are not to fear the fire, but we will endure the fire. The question is, what fire will we endure? Well, it's the fire of the refining process, right? I don't know how many of you are aware of how silver is purified, but the silversmith is to gather up pieces and chunks of silver to throw them in this, you know, vat that is, that is rated for very high temperature that they melt metal in. I can't remember the name of it right now. And his job is to maintain the temperature of the silver to liquefy it. And as the silver is liquefied, all the impurities of the silver do what? They, the dross of impurity comes to the top 
of the silver, and it is the silversmith's job to skim all the impurities off of the silver, and he keeps doing that, keeping and maintaining the temperature. How does the silversmith know when his job is finished? How does he know when it is completed? Does anyone know? He can look into the silver and see his reflection. That's how he knows when it has been purified and refined and is ready to cool off. What a picture of Christ. As those of us are thrust into the refining fires of this life, right? What does the Bible tell us? Do not be surprised when trials come upon you as though something strange is happening to you. It is a refining fire that the Lord is plunging you into. And as He plunges you into these refining fires, what is happening is all of your places of weakness in your faith and the toxicity of selfish agenda is being boiled to the top of your life. And Christ is pulling that dross off of the top of your life until at the end of your life when He is ready to call you home, He looks into the silver and your life and sees a reflection of Himself, right? So it is a refining fire and it is a fire of judgment. But what about those who are not saved, who are not made of silver? It is destruction for them. Does that shock you? Because look what he says here. And would that it were here already. He wishes that he could pour out this refining fire and this judgment upon all unrighteousness. Does that strike you as hard and painful to hear? It should. But let me see if I can help you understand Jesus' zeal for judgment. When my aunt was murdered, the man that murdered her killed himself. A little later on, my same cousins, their father and their stepmother was murdered by their half-brother, who's no biological relation to me. We anxiously waited for his trial. He admitted he had done it. Well, the evidence admitted that he had done it. We knew that he had done it. We were zealous to see a sentence passed on him and him imprisoned because that is right and that is good and that is justice. Think about all the prophets who have been martyred and killed up to this point in Scripture. Anybody know what happened to Isaiah? We love to read Isaiah at Christmas time, but we don't like to talk about what happened to him. They hauled out a log and stuck him in a log and they sawed him in half. That's what Israel did with their prophet. He's just one of many. Sometimes they throw him in holes and hope they just die there. Those who have been faithful to God, even though they have done the right thing and sought to give the right message, have been met not always with repentance. Some have, but the majority not with repentance. They have been mistreated and they have been killed and they have been martyred and their blood cries out for justice. And Jesus is zealous. He is zealous to pour out that justice and bring vindication for those wrongs that have happened. Do you see that this morning? Do you understand that? All right, verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Here Jesus is not talking about water baptism. He has already done that to fulfill all righteousness and his commitment to the law. He is here talking about Calvary. 
that the cross hangs in front of him. He is God and he is human. He knows he came to earth to die the sacrifice so that you and I can enjoy the freedom of salvation and the refinement that we enjoy in him. It hung in front of him constantly. And look what he says here. He is distressed until it happens. If you think about this, Jesus was at a point of such distress in his ministry that when he went to the garden before he was taken to the cross, he sweat what? Actual blood. You know, it is physically possible for you to be so distressed and stressed that you will sweat blood. Isn't that something to think about? Jesus carries this burden with him all the time. And here, I think, no doubt, making a reference to that verse. Oh, one other thing I want to say about 49. Another thing about fire to help us understand it. Some commentators think it's just the judgment of God. I think at a minimum it is that. When the Holy Spirit appears, He is oftentimes compared to fire. In Acts, whenever the Holy Spirit descended on the church, they came in tongues of what? Fire, right? So this is an imagery used of the Holy Spirit. In many ways, I think verse 49, back to the fire for just one second here before I move on. It is at a minimum judgment, but it could also be the Holy Spirit. Because is it not the Holy Spirit who brings about conviction? Is it not the Holy Spirit who helps people see that Jesus is the dividing line? Is it not the Holy Spirit who gives continual testimony to the dividing line and who Jesus is? So I think at a minimum it's judgment, but it could also entail the Holy Spirit as well. All right, verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Now, there's a Christmas card verse for you. How many of you have ever received a Christmas card with this verse on it? Like a little manger scene, and then it's, I didn't come to bring peace, no, but division, right? What is Jesus telling us here? Is he saying that the main goal of his ministry was to bring division? No, here's what he's saying I am the line. This is the gospel. I am the revealed truth of God. The natural response to that kind of statement. I am God in human form. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am he that Isaiah wrote about. I'm, I'm the Messiah. Is you're crazy. People will say, that's crazy. Hundreds, thousands, millions of people will say, that's insanity. He didn't come just to divide. Division is a natural outcrop of the truth of who he is. Does this cause problems for us in our families? You better believe it. Look at 52. For from now on, one, uh, now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. It has a division not just at a Uh, level in our own hearts it has a division at the home level and we see this right look there he even he even makes it clear where some of the lines are going to be look at 53 there will be a division father against son son against father mother against daughter daughter against mother Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law let me pause there for just a second i want to share something with you some of you are grinning right an older minister told me this when i when i was you know, not actually not too long ago, and he's right. He said, there's a particular tension between mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. And I've never understood this because I am neither a mother-in-law nor a daughter-in-law, but it is there. And this is the fear that mother-in-laws have. The fear is this. 
this boy who I have been just the object, you know, the apple of his eye and he has loved and adored me, is going to now love this woman, this wife, and he may love her more and kind of forget about me, right? This is a tension that many mother-in-laws feel. And he gave me some tips on how to alleviate that when I do weddings and, and go to her and tell her that. Let me say one thing. I can say this confidently as a son because I am one. Sons and mothers have a special relationship and no son ever stops loving their mother even if their mother is terrible to them. It's just the reality of it, okay? It reminds me of the old Western movie. They had caught this bad guy. I can't remember what movie it is, but they're moving along and there's all these marshals around them and they're next to a cliff and one of the marshals says something about the, the bad guy's mother makes a crack at her and he jumps, even though he's tied up, he jumps him and throws him off the cliff and the other marshals look at him and he says, even bad men love their mothers, right? <laughs> and he's right, isn't he? Uh, so this is not the division Jesus is talking about, though. It's not one over which one of us is my son going to love more. Or, you know, for the daughter, which one of us is he going to love, the father-in-law or the, or the husband more, right? That's not the division he's talking about. The division he's talking about here is over the dividing line of who Jesus is and where they stand with the fire and baptism of judgment that he's talking about in these verses, and it'll be against daughter-in-law, against mother-in-law. So we can see in this passage, Jesus here is making the point and driving it home. It boils down to who you say that I am, right? Peter was asked this question and he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Who do people say that I am? And so this morning, it is put to you. The question is put to you. Who is Christ? This is the dividing line in Scripture. You have heard him say this morning, he is baptized with fire. He's bringing about judgment. That he is dividing households, right? You know, some of you, you're preparing for Thanksgiving right now. I know the conversation, right? You know, if you could just cut back on some of this Jesus stuff and some of this religious talk, we'll be okay. Just leave some of that at the door when you come in. Don't bring it up at the, at the dinner table. Don't bring up that Jesus is Lord. Don't bring up that He's the Savior. Remember, there is more that unites us in this family than divides us. Well, according to 53, you should never say that as a Christian. You should never say to your unbelieving family, there is more that unites us than divides us. Because here's the reality. If what Jesus is saying is correct... That is the most important thing. And if you are divided on the most important thing for eternity, what does it matter if you're united over anything else? What does it matter? It matters not, right? Who cares if you both like the Steelers? Big deal. Who cares if you both like the Vols? Okay, they won't endure forever. Who cares if you both like bass fishing? I'm not even sure there's bass in heaven. I hope so, but we'll see, right? It won't remain. But people will remain, Christ will remain, and His words will remain forever. And if we're, not, if we're not united there, what are we united over? Right? You see, it goes back. You're just <laughs> silently letting the people you are closest to, that you're supposed to love the dearest, who are supposed to be most intimate with, silently fall into the fire of destruction you just sit there and we're divided, we're united over more than we're divided over. Hogwash. 
Be bold for Christ. Ruin Thanksgiving dinner. Let them hear who Jesus is. Let them hear it. Better that they deal with it now, right? You might not get invited back next year. I'll take you at Thanksgiving at my house, okay? You can come on over. It'll be all right. It'll be all right, okay? All right. I think I'm going to land the plane here. This is actually about where I think I stopped last time. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the word, how good and how right it is. Help us to be a people today who are united in the truth of the fire that cleanses and brings justice and truth and right. Lord, help us today as we seek to be a people who are a people of commitment to your words, even if it's things that our culture recoils out and we feel a recoil in our own souls. Help us to boldly embrace that truth, to preach that truth, and to make that truth right. Lord, we pray that you'll help us now in this hour as you do in all. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to, as we're getting ready to play here, and if you want to play softly, you can. It's up to you if you're ready. I want to I close with this. I close with this in the first service, and I want to close with this today. Pastor Ron, I went to his house this morning when they called me right before the early service. And I was there when the coroner was there. Ron was pastor here for 18 years. He died in his bed, warm and cozy, with his Bible next to him in bed with his glasses on top. And uh, I prayed with the family. I loved on them and I left. And as I was leaving to come here to preach at nine, I passed a hearse that was coming to collect Pastor Ron's body. And I thought to myself, if the Lord waits long enough, there'll be a hearse to come and collect me as well. Furthermore, there will be one that will come and collect each of you. The question is, what are you doing with Christ now? He said, I'm the dividing line. I have a zeal that the fire would be kindled now. Do you have a fire for Christ Do you have that desire that he had, that zeal he had to see those who know Christ be sharpened and refined and come to him and those who don't for the justice to happen? If you're not there this morning, won't you come now? Won't you come to the refining fires of Christ to know him, receive forgiveness, to repent? Do that this morning as we sing. Please stand.